0: I started out partnering with somebody else who just had years worth of experience uh, from all sorts of different types of investing. And then once I started to get into this other space, it was a lot of talking with other people. And then I quickly realized that no one else was in the same space. So there was kind of a vacuum of knowledge. Um, So, But doesn't mean I didn't learn anything from all the other people I talked to. So my biggest advice is if you see somebody out there doing what it is you want to do, Go talk to them. Go make friends with them. Go out there, say, hey, how can I learn from you? What can I do to help you? How can I be a value and a service? And then start building that relationship.
1: Welcome to our little podcast show. Thanks for taking the time to get on with us. We really appreciate it. And we know that you're just a wealth of knowledge. So we're excited to just pick your brain and just be able to share with people that are interested in real estate and what you do and how it's involved in real estate investing and all of that good, good stuff. Hey, I appreciate
0: the invite I'm looking forward to it. And I love just talking about what I'm doing and see if I can help anybody else out there.
1: Sweet. Yeah. I guess yeah, what, tell us what are you doing? Cause I know you're doing like some pretty high level syndication and REITs and and we had talked about it on our previous call, but why don't you just go through what exactly you're doing and give us the rundown.
0: All right. So currently where I'm at with my company is that we just actually filed all the uh, corporation documents. And we are this week filing the fund documents in the state of Delaware and with the SEC exemption. So what we have put together, me and my partner, David, was a syndication-esque company that is building a private REIT portfolio. So typically in the syndication realm, everything's like a one-off entity that's packaged up in a nice little deal. It's on a five seven nine whatever timeline to improve it refi somewhere and then sell it on the back end and then everyone walks away you made your money hopefully we didn't want to get into that space we've always looked at buy and hold for the long term and wanted to find an avenue where we could do that with our friends and family so that's how we started out syndicating money through joint ventures and now it's it's grown and more and more people want to be involved. So we had to kind of adapt the structure and start digging heavily into legal regulations and getting our attorneys a team involved and finding new attorneys and getting my CPAs involved. So it's been a long road to get to where we are today. It's been quite a challenge.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I guess we covered a f- few big words there that maybe some viewers don't understand or know what they are. So can you just give us a quick rundown of exactly what a syndication is, how it operates in the real estate space and so forth? Yeah. My experience
0: with syndication, even though I have not not been a traditional syndication company. So traditional syndication would be you have a general partnership like entity who is your owner, your manager. They syndicate funds, which means collect funds from other people, pull it together and then go out and acquire a resource. Usually when you come in as an investor, you're very passive. You're gonna be coming in as a limited partner underneath their structure, which means you basically don't have any voting rights or any power, which is fine to a passive investor. It's how most people operate anyways, day to day. And that's how we are set up as well. And then the general partner, the management entity of that fund, typically takes an equity position. We've seen anywhere from 15 to 25% is pretty normal. I actually seen a deal up to 75% equity stake, which I thought was oh. outrageous, but they yeah. were pulling it off in Texas. The syndication
2: kind <laughs> of really good deal.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know, I looked at the numbers and I was like, my friends were asking me what I thought about it. And I said, I would look elsewhere, but it's your money, <laughs> it's your decision at the end of the day. Um, so then, you know, with that as, as well, so they take an equity stake in the company and then they traditionally take a management fee as well, where they're giving themselves a salary of 60, 90, whatever thousand dollars a year they want to do. And then they'll do an acquisition fee, which means that anytime they buy, sell, or refinance that asset, they take a percentage of that. I've seen anywhere from one half to two to two and a half percent of that fee. In the syndication space, a lot of people have been doing that over past several years has become really big. There's tons of small companies out there doing that, even larger companies are doing that. But a lot of it I've always seen has been heavily leveraged, which is typically the name of the game in real estate. You get in for your 20, 25%, you do some improvements, cash out refi, keep it going, or you just raise some more money, do another down payment, secure some more lending. My group decided to go a different route of just cash acquisition. So that's, hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of what the syndication is in the general speak.
1: Yeah. And then, so then let's dive into like your portfolio and what you've done. You've syndicated this money. And then you said you're acquiring properties in cash. How many properties do you currently have? And how is that beneficial for your investors to be investing their money in the syndication to acquire these properties? And then how does that transition to the REITs and maybe long-term returns on a property?
0: Yeah. All right. So let's get
1: some lengthy lengthy questions.
0: We'll start with the beginning piece of how many properties we have in the syndication space. So I started out with a duplex in Albuquerque. It was a $110,000 purchase and I did it with 14 investors. There were a lot of inefficiencies to that, learned a lot. So that's what started growing from there. After that, I put together another small LLC. We went out and purchased a condo. And then after I, in the same complex was just talking to another manager in the area. And he was saying that he had a portfolio he was managing that the owner wanted to get rid of. So I ended up then acquiring that 24 unit portfolio with another C I created. And there was some complicated things behind that in terms of bringing in a completely different entity as well to help split that deal up. Cause there was a mix of one bedroom, one bathrooms and studios and my group wanted the one bedroom, one bathrooms so and we didn't want the studios but the buyer refused to sell them. So I had to get really creative and bring two, two entities, and all that kind of stuff. That's a we can get done that rabbit hole after. So right now, what we're rolling up all together is a duplex and twelve condos in Albuquerque. And then outside of that, I do have my own private portfolio, which is a, a few more duplexes and a couple single family homes that I acquired personally, and then with one other family member on those as well. And then remind me, of the second part of that question
1: how does once you have acquired your duplex and your 12 unit property, how does that bring returns to the investors if you're purchasing them with cash? Yep. So
0: the way I basically the standard I've used to analyze deals of whether or not it's good is I want to generate a 10% ROI, 10% dividend to my investors every year. And it's based solely off of the cash we get from the rental income very standard what a lot of people would do out there you basically would take your purchase price coming in and then you balance it out against the income of the rent factor in vacancy property management repairs capex insurance taxes everything you could possibly think of you put it in there and even with us once you start getting into the lc space with a lot of people you're going to need more cpa cost more attorney cost associated with that as well but once once you factor in all that you look at it annually and say okay Is this going to get me a 10% ROI? So typically when we buy an asset, it's not generating that out the door. And that's totally fine. And what I typically tell my investors is that, Hey, we need to go in and fix some things up because we target poorly performing assets. Managers just ran them into the ground. They're super deteriorated. So we go in and then I factor in the improvement cost as well and the acquisition cost. So you roll that all up and then if it's going to hit the 10% return to my investors. After improvements, after we're able to increase the rents to market value, then that's something we're going to start proceeding with and executing on. When we're going into the property, I typically like to try to get the asset, at least cash flowing out the gate. I've done anything up like literally just breaking even up to one to 3% ROI out the gate. But for my position, I think that's very secure because we are buying it from a cash standpoint. We're bringing all the money up. I'm not really, I'm not super risk exposed because I don't have a lender to pay off. So when we buy this thing for cash, and then we also put reserve in there too. So it's the acquisition cost, the capital improvements and a reserve. So that's all coming to the table day one. And we've been very comfortable with that platform going forward. And then getting into the portfolio, why is that good for the investor? Because we're diversifying risk. When they come into this kind of entity structure that we're putting together, they are getting access to an entire portfolio of assets like you would with a typical REIT, real estate investment trust. You buy that, it's an index fund, mutual fund, ETF, whatever. It's publicly traded out there on the stock market. There are also private REITs as well that are managed by other entities. And that's why we're splitting out from a syndication route. We're not just looking at one asset, whether it's an apartment complex or storage unit or something big. We wanted to give risk diversification through an entire portfolio. And that is where we are fundamentally different from traditional syndication companies.
2: Okay. So yeah, what we're hearing at that point is you're operating inside of a space. Yeah, between these publicly traded REITs and then also syndications just operating instead of just purchasing or investing into a single property. You're diversifying and you're actually holding on to these properties instead of, hey, in five years you're going to get your cash out. Right. You're investing in it for what do these terms look like for them? Do they have a investment term that they have to hold with you? If they say, hey, I want to pull my capital out, like how does that kind of work? Yeah. Like I said, yeah,
0: traditionally on the syndication side, it's a time frame, and you're locked in from the get-go. They're like, hey, we're doing a seven-year yeah. event. It is what it is. And that's how we set it up too. Now, the only difference is that it's locked in, but me and my partner reserve the right to do whatever we want according to our bylaws and agreements inside of our limited partnership documents so what we have told our investors and what we aim to do is, and we can do this because it's a cash basis of acquisition mm-hmm. and it's a portfolio so it gives us a lot of unique options so let's say an investor with us for a little bit we use their money to acquire an asset and they come at us a year later or whatever and say hey i need to cash out some money five thousand let's say all right that's pretty easy to do we probably have enough reserve in the account that we could then cash them out and then it just makes everyone's value that's a current investor more lucrative because we are now having less of the pie to share with other people because the company bought that so that's one option there another option would be is we would open it up to all the existing investors in the group and say hey somebody is looking to transfer their position does anyone want to buy their position that could happen We would also look at transferring their position to new investors coming in. So if somebody else says, hey, I wanna buy into this fund, it's like, okay. Instead of just taking on this brand new capital, we'll just transfer them out um, there. Now, let's say we get into a situation where someone is saying, okay, I need half a million dollars out. It's a little harder. We're gonna try our best. At some point, the portfolio is gonna get large enough to where maybe we can absorb that. We have enough reserve, but we're talking tens of millions of dollars down the road. In the event that someone really needs to cash out and we're not able to completely do it within internal exchanges or new capital exchanges, then what we would do would be refinance against some of the assets. And we can do that because everything we have is not leveraged. So we could work with a lender, refi against some of the assets, cash that person out, and then that debt we have, that's owned by the company. So right now, everybody's value is still roughly the same. For the debt that has replaced that person's investment, we have to pay that off. But once it is paid off and we don't pay it off with new money coming in, their shares are gonna be way more valuable because there's less people to split the pie with. When we do take on debt though, we would also allow the new capital coming in to pay off that debt. So that is another way of doing it. Worst case scenario, let's say we can't refi, the terms are just so crazy, then sell an asset. And then if we do sell an asset, then obviously the rest of the, the, rest of the proceeds from that sale Would then be most likely distributed out to all the investors and everybody would then get a check at that time and we would just handle it that way so those are we wanted to make sure we give our our investors plenty of options now they do realize they can't just come at us and say i need my money tomorrow that's not how this works that's not how real estate works real estate is an illiquid (laughs) asset so there, there are definitely a lot of things in there so we have time limits in there saying hey within this period of time we're gonna do the best we can to get you your cash out but we do reserve the right to say as of right now we can't do that so they do understand is a little give and take there. We're going to do everything we can and we have plenty of options in place. But at the end of the day, the decision is ultimately with us to do that.
2: Yeah. And so what kind of brought you to discover, lean into this model versus the traditional syndication model? You know, what kind of bridged that hump to get you into that space versus, yeah, just sticking to syndications and just doing deals over and over again.
0: It, it started with my first investment property. So I had a family friend. He he had investment properties, Like so he's much older. I say he's family friend. It, he's like an adopted father. Right. Me have him are very close uh, and all that kind of stuff. He went through the 0809 housing crash. And he also experienced really bad property management out in Florida where managers were embezzling money and all this other kind of stuff. So he had just like a really bitter taste in terms of real estate. He still had a little bit personally that he could manage here in Colorado himself because he was here locally. But we got to talking and he really liked what I was doing with my own house hacking situation on my first property I bought. And then with other investments I've made throughout equity markets. So we looked at, I was like, hey, there's a duplex I found. It's pretty cheap. I think we can make this happen. And he decided to write a check for the whole thing. And that's what started the cash basis going that route for acquisition. It's way less risk. And that, w- so in the first year of holding that asset, buying it for cash, we did some improvements, brought the rents up to market because it was just horribly mismanaged. Holding that asset was a 24% return in the first 12 months i just holding it and improving it. No leverage. Wow. So we did that and it was like, well, oh, okay, this can work. And we did it with a second one, another duplex, paid for it in cash and it worked from there. And then same that 24%. That one did about 18, 20%. It Still had it though. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it, pretty was darn good. <laughs> it was slightly more expensive. And like I said, and that's where we're going at. And I am I really think like 10% is a good mark. So it, and it kind of started there. And then once I started talking to my friends, because have a lot of friends, they invest, they're curious, they're into real estate. They wanted to know how they could expand. I was like, let's just let's throw some money together and see how it happens. So we started with a joint venture structure. So this is something I learned the difference between what is a syndication? and What's a joint venture? Because this is a gray space. Mm. You want to make sure you're doing the right thing there. So a joint venture is also going to be a partnership between whatever entities out there, friends, families, whatever. With a joint partnership, though, everybody has roughly equal contracts but then also responsibility and authority that's where it's different on the syndication side and on the syndication side you can still do friends and family but when you are bringing in limited partners as opposed to general partners limited partners have no power so the general partners are really managing that entire asset for them and that's when it gets away from a joint venture because not everybody is jointly equal in that venture so that's something i learned throughout this process and that's kind of where I was like okay I need to get more into the correct space from this pseudo gray area of like joint venture ish and that's really one of the drivers as to why we were switching into this formalized fund also there's just tremendous efficiency from reducing yeah. administrative overhead and just tracking paperwork and that's another difference between a portfolio structure and a traditional syndication with a portfolio structure I now have access to all the capital and all the assets in that portfolio. Whereas if you're in a syndication company, you start transferring money between one syndication to another syndication, even though it's in the same company that can get messy because that is all not the same people's money. Those are not all the same entities, but now if everything is under one umbrella, It's really easy. If I have a slightly poor performing asset over here that needs a little extra capital to get it up and running, it's all in the same war chest. And then what also allows me to do is that as this war trust grows bigger and bigger, all this reserve, we can make the decision to say, okay, we're only going to give out, let's say we could have given out a 15% dividend this year. We're only going to give out 10% and that extra 5%, we're going to go buy a new asset with it. So we can also continue to expand the portfolio without bringing in new capital, which just makes everybody's value go up. So mm-hmm. some, of the, some of the additional benefits we saw going in that direction.
1: Clearly, you're a very smart guy. You've been in this space for a while. Understand the general partnership is great for you and operating this business. But from an investor standpoint, how do you gain trust of investors? I know you said a lot as a family, friend. And I know in our previous conversation, you have a lot of like military buddies that you were, you worked with that just trust you from your experiences together. How do you go about getting trust in new investors? Is that something you're looking for as new investors? Or are you happy with the portfolio of investors that you have currently?
0: Yeah, it started out uh, friends and families and then they have friends and they talk. So it fundamentally does come down to a high degree of trust. And fortunately in my position being in the military and having a lot of friends in the military, we put a lot of trust in one another. So that, that definitely gets you in the door Mm-hmm. but that only goes so far, like they want to see performance. So right. they have seen my track record of what I've been doing on my own personal portfolio. And then with the family member, and they really like the model and the strategy I've developed also transparency and honesty, just straight up. There are so many meetings I've had and email exchanges, phone calls, Zoom calls, screen sharing on meetings of going through how I analyze. I have no problem taking my entire Excel spreadsheets, sending it out to the group and saying, Hey guys, what do you think? And other people obviously have their own portfolio they invest and we poke and pick at it and tear it apart because it just makes it better. And having that level of transparency and setting expectations really helps, especially with that large condo portfolio we acquired. There was a little bit of seller financing debt and I told everybody, I was like, hey look, don't expect a return for the first three years because any piece of profit we're getting, we're paying down this debt and then we're also rehabbing all these units. And once we set that expectation, and everyone agreed to it and was on board they were very happy with that plan so i think from the managing entity aspect is really not painting a poor picture just be straight up honest show the numbers don't try to skew anything don't try to go in there and like mess with pro forma to make it look really pretty just stick to the numbers stick to a very well regimented analysis and present that and if it's a good deal the money's going to come everything i've heard from so many other people out there listening to podcasts reading book it's like if you got something good, it's you can make it happen. And that's and one of the things that surprised me was how much money that was out there that people were willing to invest when you have a good product. I thought fundraising was gonna be difficult. Um and no, once I was like, hey guys, here's the numbers, here's what I'm seeing, like we can make this happen. And people are like, Yeah, that's solid. Here's money. Sure. So if you mm-hmm. have a good product, it's going to grow. Now, in terms of new investors, this is another key thing with the syndication space so we're under a 506 b filing which means we do not do any sort of general solicitation we don't do any sort of like invest with us kind of stuff it's so even like this conversation we're having this is just purely educational for me to explain right. how I got from point A to point B and then help other people understand what it is I'm doing. And then that's how we've worked with our attorney team because obviously word of mouth, it, it travels. We get hit up a lot with people that are interested and curious in what we're doing. So then we set up meetings and we talk to them and explain what it is they're doing, answer the questions, maybe help them analyze their own deals, build a relationship. And then over time, if that relationship is strong and we're comfortable working with each other, then we'll talk about maybe partnering up and seeing how we can both help each other out. That's for non-accredited investors, which are individuals with less than a million dollar net worth, excluding primary residency or individuals that are making everything like 200,000 back to back year after year sort of thing. And we have accredited investors and we keep actually getting more and more accredited investors, because usually in the circle of accredited investors, they also have friends and they have friends. Right. So it's that's kind of how that goes. So that's kind of the space we're working out. One thing I learned about accredited investors through this process as well, is that because I am now managing a fund, I'm automatically an accredited investor without meeting the income requirements.
1: Oh, that's cool.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I remember that regulation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is something we found out going through the process. Yeah, that
1: is really interesting. So now. So so then that means that you can go and join a syndication because then you are an accredited, somebody else's syndication because you are an accredited investor. Correct. Me and my business
0: partner are the GPs of a fund, an investment fund. So we are now given the title of accredited investors, which is pretty cool.
2: That's yeah, so cool. I've always thought
0: that title's a fun one out there. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also really dumb because there's not actually a registry at all with the SEC yeah. or anybody, right? Like, it's just something that you as a managing partner need to verify and validate with people. But at the end of the day, like if they lie to you, then, you yeah. know, like you can only do so much due diligence. You get their finances, you get their tax returns, whatever. You scrub it the best you can. You have them fill out questionnaires, sign documents saying they're truthful. But yeah, at the end of the day, I don't know why there's not like a registry or something. It's kind of weird.
2: I feel like that would save a lot of people time. (laughs) It it, it would just make this a lot simpler. Yeah. But I definitely wanted to go back to what you were just covering about like building trustworthy or building trust in the investors that you're utilizing and people like that. And I think that's been a shift because I think over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. that definitely syndications have become a lot more popular and i think the risk with yours if the fund the fund is a revolving item so like you have to keep performing you have to keep building it it's just like a stock kind of thing but versus a traditional syndication everybody got into that space and just started syndicating properties getting investors on board and at the end of the day it was like you know we're going to highly leverage it. We're shooting on pro formas that are probably never going to get achieved. I'm just banking on getting that acquisition fee, that management fee for the time being. And if this thing goes south, the investors are just out the door, unlucky, and then you just flip it and move on to the next one. And yeah, getting
0: to that. And that's one of the other reasons why I think my investors are much more comfortable with my platform is because we don't take a management fee. We don't take a acquisition fee and the only equity stake we are taking is 10%. So we are undercutting our competition severely in every category and my invest my investors truly appreciate that my performance and my payment is tied to their performance. No and I have not seen another investment entity out there whether it's real estate, stocks, whatever that is purely paid off of performance and that I'm um, We're going to try it. I think it's possible. And with the scalability and the larger we can grow the portfolio, the more stable it's going to be. I think that's definitely going to work out for us. But I think over time, that if we can provide as good of a product, if not better, is one bonus. And then if we can do it cheaper than everybody else, that's a second bonus. So I feel like it's not going to be a problem showing people that we're in it and Mm -hmm. we mean what we say we mean because we are 100% tied to their investment. And I wish more people in the syndication space went that way. That's how it is. Even your portfolio management equity markets, they're always taking a 1% whatever of assets managed, not performance, because it seems like no one's out there wanting to put that risk on the table. But me and my partner are completely comfortable putting that out there. So that definitely helps with the trust factor.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think that's the space that it's in pretty much any industry. I could say the same thing about like property managers. They get lazy. They don't want to see turnover because then they lose their guaranteed incomes. It's just over and over again. You're only then basing the only money that you'll ever, or for right now, at least that you're making off of this fund is just on that equity stake, you don't your or dividends.
0: Correct. It's going to be that. Now for me personally, I'm a real estate agent in New Mexico and we do have a caveat in there where in terms of all the buying we've been doing sometimes i do get a commission out of that because i will handle the transition but there's also been times where i've completely waived my commission just to bring the purchase price down to make it appropriate to hit the numbers we want to hit and my investors have been 100 comfortable with with that from the start that has been another source of where i've been able to pull a little bit more income off of this when it comes to the buy when it comes to the point where we ever s- decide to sell an asset if it's in a region that I could sell it in, I will probably manage that transaction at a discount for the investors. And there is a potential I may do it for zero because I am also an equity member of that portfolio. Just because I'm not getting a check from that transaction, the value of swapping that out to show my investors I'm in it, that that's way more valuable than that commission check at that time. Yeah. I'd much rather show that to my group and give that performance back to them because that's going to pay off significant dividends down the road.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just going to keep people involved with you that way. They're not seeing you just cheapskating out or taking your cut and then moving on. Yeah. Yep. You can roll those into
1: the next purchase or the next acquisition. When you're acquiring properties, are you looking specifically in New Mexico? And is there a specific property type that you're looking for, or is it really just come down to numbers?
0: Right now it's been New Mexico because I've been able to negotiate all my own deals and that makes it significantly easier. Efficiency again. Um, yeah. And I, we're not limited to New Mexico. I'd say the largest limiting factor is gonna be the networks in that area. So even though I can find a great deal in some markets, if I don't have the people in place to make sure that it can be managed appropriately, that may not be worth the risk no matter how good that deal is. Even in New Mexico where I've been there for several years, I still struggle at times to find good vendors. Like you, yeah. you're someone for a bit, but it gets sloppy, they start falling through. Okay, now I gotta go find a new vendor or people just retire, people get old, things happen. Making sure you have a good network wherever you decide to invest, I'd say that's more important than just finding a good deal. So, no, I'm definitely not limited on that. I would love to get into the Colorado space and then going to the other meetups in the area been working with tons of other people and I'm hoping to build those relationships and those networks and those partnerships and start acquiring assets out here. But it really just comes down to the numbers. Asset class-wise, we've only been focusing on residential and multifamily. We are wanting to expand in any sort of market that makes sense and hits mm-hmm. the numbers we want to hit. So we've talked about there's one deal we're currently looking at, the 20-acre plot of landing in New Mexico that has an RV park on half of it. So we've been looking at acquiring something like that, but Getting into water rights out there—that's a whole nother <laughs> issue. But then there's a couple other things that have come up. There's—I got a referral from my CPA actually on someone who got a um, an inheritance of property. They're looking to liquidate. That we maybe are able to put something together there. Other investors within the portfolio are bringing up deals they see in their local markets. So, you know, any anywhere where the numbers make sense and we have a comfortable relationship with vendors in that area, I think we'll go after. So
2: that's limiting. So, are you, as you're scaling this, I know it's fresh and developing currently, but as you plan on scaling this, I know we've talked that you're currently just buying in a cash basis. Is that the plan to keep this moving? Or do you want to keep that stability and that kind of safety net from buying cash? Or do you want to eventually possibly either refinance some of the properties that you have right now? and then move that into more purchases. Because if you're gonna scale into larger properties, I know that cash may become a little more strapped without having to take on a ton more investors. Yeah, we
0: are looking to scale to that point and we do realize at some point in time, if we wanna start going after larger asset classes, we're not gonna be able to bring as much cash to the table. But going back to the portfolio, we can leverage against ourselves. Instead of me having to go to, a lender and say hey I don't really have anything in the game right now I can just bring you a down payment these are the terms you're gonna give me market rate whatever okay but I have an established company already if I is established with a track year, record five seven years here's our credit score associated it's a standalone business entity, right? So that really opens up different doors. And especially if I'm refinancing as my own performing portfolio with a track record of five to seven years, I feel like it's going to be a much easier conversation to have with various lenders out there than uh, someone off the street. Because like that condo portfolio I put together for a million dollars for seller finance, I went in there and I wrote my name for a million dollars on a guarantee to that guy. And I took all that risk on myself. I was like, I told my group, I was like, guys, I'm confident this is going to freaking work. And I went in there and just signed away for a million dollars. <laughs> not necessarily recommending that to people out there. And yes, there was risk involved, but it was very calculated risk. But yeah, at some point, but once we get the portfolio, probably $20 million, we'll look at that. I do want to keep the debt ratio relatively low. I okay. think I would be comfortable probably in the five to ten percent range and see how that goes. I think on the large scale, I've seen some REITs as light as 30% leverage, which is really low in the REIT realm. Yeah. Most REITs out there are like so 70%, maybe 80%. If you look at how REITs are performing on the market right now with the rise in interest rates, they are getting absolutely crushed. And a lot of syndications I've been seeing out there are going back to their investors and asking for money because they are getting crushed by the interest rates. And yeah. they've already started to knock down the price in which they thought they were going to sell. It it's risk reward. It was really good for several years in there, but now you know the bills are starting to come due and people are scrambling. So I don't ever want to put my investors in that position. Because right now, it's going to be a good position for us in the next couple of years. If a recession hits, people start going under. That gives us a lot more opportunity. And we'll have a lot of buying power to go out there and scoop up those deals that people had to default on. I like having lots of options at my disposal.
2: Yeah, that one's definitely going back. Yeah, you mentioning how a lot of syndications, especially right now, are coming back for investors. It's, it goes back to it. They banked five years ago or three years ago on a refinance to be able to pay off their investors. And who could predict that, or even two years ago, who could predict the rates were going to come back up. Yeah. Know, now they're just sitting there and they're like, we didn't plan for this. So. <laughs> yeah. Another, yeah. yeah. And then going back to the
0: building, the trust, and that's where I will give the formulas to the investors. They get the Excel spreadsheet. They can it's completely open 100%. They can go in and mess with all the formulas, figure out how a plus B equals C kind of thing. Very transparent. And I wish more investment entities did that. And were, were very mm-hmm. transparent with their numbers because people make mistakes at times too people, lots of numbers, lots of formulas going out there. And if, you know, somebody does catch a mistake, you can avoid headache for everybody collectively. So it definitely also brings down that risk a little bit for the collective whole, which is a good thing.
2: Yeah. So are all these properties that you guys are current or that you currently own and this fund owns, are they all just long-term rentals or do you have any kind of creative strategies in there?
0: No, right now, everything has just been a buy and hold. That's the the strategy i've always wanted to go with because it helps me get to that like magic dollar i set out there to retire early or be able to just walk away from any other job out there and work for myself full-time or just walk away completely and i think the best way to get there is that cash flow you're going to generate off of them every single month so obviously when you leverage your ROI is like ridiculous because you're putting very little money up and getting these huge returns over time, which is awesome. People are comfortable with ROI. That makes sense to them. They understand you put X amount of dollars in, you get X amount of dollars back. It's easy. And that's the 10% is a good benchmark that we've been going after. But yeah, everything we're looking at is buy and hold. And that's because a lot of the investors get it. Like they want a safe investment. They want something that is going to pay out consistently over time. And we have people through all ranges of life investing. I mean, people of my age group that are pretty young just getting into it and then we also have people way later in their lives that are like 80 and they're giving us money out of their self-directed Roth IRAs to fund with us because they want steady consistent returns and are tired of the fluctuation within the stock market so if they know they can buy a stable asset and get this pretty stable dividend check every year happy to go that route
2: yeah so would you ever explore a short-term rental in there or something? You park trailer parks it's, or other kind of things in there. Yeah, at one
0: point in time we've done things of even looking at like a an 80 unit motel in North Carolina um. running that sort <laughs> of thing. That's obviously comes with a lot more management oversight and we have to mm-hmm. have a very robust system in place to tackle that thing. But yeah, we actually have some furnished units out there in Albuquerque. One of them, we have a short term ask rental situation, but we partnered with Area on that. So One of the other things is inside the military, people travel. Like people travel for work all the time, but they travel on per diem. And then there's training pipelines at a lot of different bases where people will be down there for months at a time. So instead of them going to a hotel and not having a kitchen or anything like that, we'll give them a full furnished unit and charge them a daily raise. So it's very similar to a short term rental. I would say we, we have less turnover because we're going after a longer term situation. It'd be more of like a, I guess you, let's call it like a midterm rental, right? So like more of like a traveling Mm -hmm. nurse situation. So we're definitely looking at expanding more and more into that realm. I think Airbnb, from what we've been seeing lately, a lot of those investors are getting real scared. If we're going into a recession and people (laughs) are pulling back, and a lot of fees with Airbnb have gone through the roof where it is not cheap anymore to go and use one of those it's it's you're saving a significant amount of money most people are going to go to a hotel and then if a recession hits vacation is usually something that gets cut first thing that space where you're maybe heavily leveraged on a short term rental situation may not be the best maybe not the best strategy going forward but we are looking into that space and we've had success with our two furnished rentals down there one of them we were actually going to utilize for the military guys on training but we had a coworker down there that said, Oh no, I just want to rent this thing full up every month. So they were a long-term furnished apartment with us. And that's something we're very comfortable getting into is a furnished unit situation. A lot of people actually seem to like that, especially if your job has you move every couple of years and you're not super interested in buying furniture and lugging all that stuff around, you can take an Airbnb type setup and just transition that into a long-term tenant. The rate of return is not going to be as good because you're not charging like a high premium for that, but it's better than just a traditional rental that's a vacant unit that somebody furnishes themselves. And I think you just have to do that cost analysis to determine is the upfront furnishing cost worth it in the long run And we've seen that it has been.
1: It's a yes for us. Are you very hands-on with your property management or is that something that you're you have a good connection and a good network that you can just let them handle that kind of for you
0: so i started self-managing especially those duplexes i have when i was in the area It was 15 minutes away easy to take care of and mm-hmm. i still actually self-manage my two single family homes that i owned independently because they're military clients and they're in there for years on end so yeah. yeah it's very easy when we started acquiring that condo portfolio that was the time i had to switch over and i've actually started switching over a lot of the other Personal portfolio as well, just because I'm running out of time to take care of those things. But mm-hmm. I would say we are still very hands-on in terms of managing the manager. We are not going to be hands-on in terms of tenants and lease agreements and evictions and those kind of um, things. But my it, it took a couple months to set the expectation of my property management of like how I want things run and the communication that I expect. So whenever there's a work order that comes in. It hits my inbox and within 24 hours, I'm giving the thumbs up, thumbs down or asking additional questions and clarifying on that. I would like to get to the point where we have enough trust and confidence in a property manager to just do everything for us and we don't have to check them all the time, (laughs) but until we get to that point. I don't foresee that happening until we get a sizable portfolio in one specific area and we just bring property management in house and we do it <clears> that way. But just simple things of reminding them, like, hey, it's been over a year, where's my annual inspections? And then they go out and do it. And then I follow up and say, okay, I noticed some of these units have pets and they're not supposed to have pets. Where we add on that? And then like, okay, we'll start doing that. I'm usually the one that has to go out there and remind them and ask these questions. And I wish people were a lot more proactive about that sort of stuff. But it's a hard, it's a hard space to find exceptional vendors in depending on your market. But if somebody wants to come in and be that exceptional property management, I mean, that'd, that'd be phenomenal. I do all my own bookkeeping in terms of the the monthly accounting i don't do the tax filing we have a firm does that for us but i like doing all the accounting because then it gives my investors complete transparency and confidence when they ask me hey what is this thing and i can tell them immediately what that is like i know everything down to the penny and then i my cpa is Thoroughly impressed with the love. I'm sure your CPA management. loves that. No, so because I'm going in there and every transaction, that's not really routine. There's a comment box in there. Where I'm putting in all sorts of comments of what the work was done. Why was it done? Sometimes like recently, right? This vendor I mail checks to the post office dropped the ball. The checks never got there. so then I personally paid for it out of my own account and transfer the money digitally to like Venmo. And then I'll go back, reimburse myself with a check and document the entire process with all the different transactions. And basically this one transaction will turn into 15 pages of documentation now. Oh yeah. I'll Make sure it's covered, but I can't, we're not at the stage you get where it makes sense to farm those responsibilities out. And frankly, I don't know if I'm necessarily comfortable farming those out until I train someone to give the level of detail that I expect from those transactions, because I take money management extremely seriously. People are trusting us with their money to invest on their behalf. And I wanna do right by them. Because so many people I have seen personally and friends experience and stuff like that end up being on the short end of the stick when it comes to investments. And that is not a position I ever wanna be in nor put my investors in.
2: Yeah, you're only as strong as your vendors, correct? So (laughs) that's all you can say. I'm feeling the same thing up here. That's why I haven't offloaded property management yet because I just don't feel that anybody can do it To the level that I expect, and every agent or as an agent, I do need to have that contact to recommend out to other investors in the area. And like I tell them, I'm like, hey, these guys aren't going to do it to the same level. So I'm in that same space where I'm currently developing that system for myself and also starting my own property management group to handle all of that. While I won't do like the day to days, I'm going to oversee everything and make sure everything's gone to that tip top level.
1: Yep, absolutely we are getting to almost an hour here um we sent over and (laughs) wanted to just kind of go through these five questions and i hope you had a chance to think about them a little bit but i did i looked at them a little bit today i'll i'll go with the first (laughs) one what is one book that you have read that has helped you develop your mindset as an investor?
0: I'll give you a book I just actually read the
1: other week recently that I thought was very interesting because
0: I'm sure you hear Rich Dad Poor Dad, 4-Hour Work Week, Intelligent, a bunch of stuff like that, right? This was mm-hmm. it's called The Psychology of Money. That was very interesting and it helps you adjust not only, I wouldn't say really adjust your mindset, but helps you understand the mindset of others. Because everybody's everybody has unique experience with money from their own walk through life. So that's why people will do certain things this way and other people will do things this way. So I thought that was a very interesting book. And then you can also step, take a step back, analyze how you deal with money. And it was just a short read. So I would recommend that one to understand your own investing mindset and then help you realize where other people are coming from.
2: All right. Yeah, I don't, I think I've heard of that one, but I haven't read it yet. So I'll definitely put it on my list. (laughs) Yeah. Put it on my Audible. Yeah. There you go. I will do too. Yeah. I'm not... Uh, Physical book guy, (laughs) I'm more on Audible. And then, yeah, the second one is, what is one actionable item you would recommend to somebody who wants to do what you are doing?
0: I would say go find a person that is doing what they wanna do and partner up with them. That's
2: even, I started out
0: partnering with somebody else who just had years worth of experience from all sorts of different types of investing. And then once I started to get into this other space, it was a lot of talking with other people. And then I quickly realized that no one else was in the same space. So there was a vacuum of knowledge, but it doesn't mean I didn't learn anything from all the other people I talked to. So my biggest advice is if you see somebody out there doing what it is you want to do, go talk to them, go make friends with them, go out there, say, Hey, how can I learn from you? What can I do to help you? How can I be a value and enough service? And then start building that relationship and learn from them. And then
1: And is that something that you would take on people? If people are like, Hey, I want to partner with you because that you're in the space that I want to be. How do you be a mentor? That's not on our list of questions, but I think that's a really good piece of actionable advice.
0: So I've done that a lot with my friend. I've offered my services and some people take me up on it some people don't people reach out with their own investment deals and say hey can you take a look at this and give me your thoughts and tell me where it's strong or weak so that they can also learn and then maybe they can see how i analyze the deal and maybe pick some good nuggets out of there that's i love doing that kind of stuff if anybody comes at me with some questions they want to know how to do something or they need some help with something always Always happy to do that for all of the people. So awesome. that's I feel like you you put that kind of energy out there, it's going to come back to you. And I've, anybody else I've ever talked to, and I've asked questions, they've been super helpful to help me mm-hmm. understand what they're doing. So it
1: works both ways. That's awesome. I feel like that's the greatest thing about like the real estate investing space is that there's just like a lot that continues to be unknown. And every situation is so specific that you might not necessarily know how to handle it, but somebody else has probably handled something like that. Or just even talking out loud and sharing those experiences to like problem solve is, I don't know, that's my experience with real estate, at least is being able to share with other people, you're going to find the answer somewhere. So then back to the questions that we had on hand, who is the one person on your team that is the most important or has lent to like the most success for you?
0: So right now, me and my team is just me and my partner, David, and he's been a tremendous help. He was brought on because he has more of the, I'd say the marketing side of the thing, the systemization, business improvement, stuff like that. So he's definitely picking up all the gaps that I am overlooking when it's because I'm so heavy in the finance and the analysis. I would say, so he's been very helpful getting me and the company up to where we're going and our future expansion. I would say the most successful person on my team to begin with was that first investor, Elliot. Hands mm-hmm. down, I would not be where I was without him believing and just saying, yeah, let's go do it. I trust you. Let's make it happen. And without him, cause that started everything That snowballed into the next deal and that snowballed into me talking to other people. And they were saying, Hey, how are you doing this? I want to help. I want to be involved. So yeah, definitely Elliot.
2: Sweet. And is he still investing with you guys?
0: Oh yeah. He just learning other things as well. We got, he read an article, in the wall street journal and it said in there a self-directed ira we were like and he asked me he was like do you know anything about this I'm like, no let me go figure this out so then we actually started and we figured a way out and found companies in the united states that do this and he started converting his traditional ira accounts into self-directed accounts so that he can invest in real estate out of his retirement accounts and that is something he has been helping a lot of other people in his similar age range start doing with their portfolios as well, because they're also tired of being in the market. That's just another thing where someone asked a question, you're like, I don't know, let's go investigate and try to find a solution. And we found one. It's been awesome for him. He has been killing it in his retirement portfolio. He owns quite a bit of real estate in there right now. And it's unbelievable. The returns are just crazy.
2: I'm sure. So, yeah, the next question that we have is what is your favorite area of investing and why?
0: Right now, and I think it's going to be for the longest time, is going to be the residential space. It is really going in. And why? Because we're providing a service. Like, I understand how important housing is, how important shelter is. And I see so many destroyed properties and so many people living in terrible situations. That's what, I mean, to me, that's the most important is providing a quality product that people can live in and feel safe. And that is why I really enjoy investing in that space and turning things around and making them better for not only investors, but the people that
2: live there and giving them something you know, of value. Yeah. Creating that win-win. They feel good about what you're doing and you're creating money. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. We've helped so many people. Quick story on that. There was a vendor who I was using to do some cleanup for me, junk removal, essentially going in and clearing a place out. He had a guy working on his crew. Him and his mom were living week to week in an extended stay. And the reason was no one was renting him to them is because they had a felony charge. So I went over there and I met with them and they discussed we discussed the situation, we set the expectations, and then I was like, Okay, yeah, I'll rent to you. And then they've been one of the best tenants that I've ever had. They're wow. awesome. They've been in the unit for almost coming up on a year now. And no one was gonna give them a break, no one was gonna give them a chance. And then I was like, Yeah, let's give it a try. So
1: I definitely I definitely want to help people. And I think this is also a great space to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. And how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Like have an
0: email. That's a, best place to get a hold of me or my uh, cell phone number that I can share with you guys so that you can put it out there. That so, sounds good. Yeah. Very responsive. You shoot me an email, or shoot me a text. I'll pick it up probably after business hours. <laughs> and and to attest you. to that. You're very responsive <laughs> to email.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. No very, social media for you. No,
0: That comes from the, uh, the inability to advertise, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're definitely in the space of educating people and then seeing where that relationship goes and how we can partner in the future. So at some point in time, once we get to the $100 million threshold and transition to a REIT entity, then that dynamic might change. But for the foreseeable future, just give me a call and say you need some help.
2: There we go. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's all that we have. Thank you so much for coming on. I've definitely given a wealth of knowledge here.
0: <laughs> I appreciate you greatly for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking with you guys in the future and letting you know how the project's going
1: yes yeah. likewise so definitely be checking in and probably do a follow-up episode in the future yeah. absolutely looking forward to it guys yeah. <laughs> thanks so much eric and right. i will hit the button hi thank you for tuning in to the stealth wealth podcast you can find out more information in the show notes as well as find our contact information please feel free to reach out to either ben or myself and let us know what you want to hear on future episodes As always, your continued support is much appreciated. So please leave us a review and hit that notification button to hear our next episode.